0: Welcome to a longer table podcast, a space for real and sometimes hard conversations that will often challenge your perspective and always empower you to pull up more seats around your own table. I'm your host, Amanda Carpenter. Let's dive in. I am so excited today. My guest is Angela Logan, Dr. Angela Logan, to be exact. She is a woman from my hometown, like lives in that community, goes to church at my best friend Jason's church. We've had Jay on the podcast before. You guys already know him. Angela is part of his congregation. She works at Notre Dame. We could say a lot of things about you, Angela, but I'm just so excited that you're sitting at my table today and that we get to welcome your voice into our community. Thanks for being here. So excited to be here with you, Manda this should be fun. Oh, it will be fun. I mean, you're a blast to chat with. We were chatting right before we hit record and it's just you, I just want to stop talking and let them hear you as much as possible. Cause you are so wise. You have a lot of good things to say. We were actually just talking about how you just hired a spiritual director for five weeks. Uh-huh. What was your intention behind that? Why did you want to hire a spiritual director? So I've been wrestling with some things with God
1: and my life and trying to make some hard decisions. And one of the things I decided was that if you want something different, you have to do something different. Mm -hmm. And so I decided, let's do something that you've never done before. And I have friends, including Jason, who mentioned that he had had a spiritual director and how powerful that was. And I figured, why not? Let's try it. Let's see what happens.
0: I love it. What did you like? What did you come into this process hoping to gain from it? And did you gain what you were hoping for? I hoped to gain
1: some clarity, some understanding and some peace. And I got all of those and more. I got surprised by answers, uh, by answers that I gave, by questions that she asked. And I actually chuckled on more than one occasion because when the first session that we had together, she said, thank you for coming in both feet. You just dove right in and we just did it. I was like, well, if I'm going to do this, I might as well go all in.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I could see you being very all or nothing. <laughs> I, was, I couldn't help myself. I was like, if I'm doing this, we're doing this. Let's go for it. So what'd you talk about with her? What things came up? What were you um, searching for peace within this process about?
1: So I am hitting a very interesting um, age and season in my life. So I will be 48 this year, which is really weird to say. And so it's just that opportunity to think about, what my life has been, what, what did I want it to be and making peace with the things that have happened and the things that have not happened.
0: Tell us a few of those things that have or haven't happened. So
1: I, um, it's funny because the first session that she and I were together, I cried five times and I was like, oh, this is problematic because A, I do not cry. B, I do not cry in front of strangers (laughs) and C, I do not cry five times. What is happening? And she said, it's okay. This is part of the journey. You're fine. And it was because she had given me the space and the freedom to both celebrate the life that I have, which is rich and beautiful and powerful and amazing. And if you had bet me an amount of money that mattered, I would have never imagined in my wildest dreams that this would be my life. And yet I had vision. I was one of those little girls who started planning her wedding at 16. The groom was optional. He'd figure himself out. He'd get here eventually. But I had the bridesmaids and the colors and I would buy brides magazines and it hasn't happened. Mm -hmm. And I don't know when it's going to happen or if it's going to happen or how it's going to happen. But it's grieving, not the life that I thought I would have. Yeah. And, and making peace with living in the tension of those two things. Celebrating the life that I have, but honoring the grief of the life that has not happened.
0: Let's start with that side of it. Let's start with the life that hasn't happened yet. Mm-hmm. So I hear you saying marriage is something you've always desired. Mm-hmm. It hasn't happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else are things that you've desired that haven't happened?
1: Um, having biological children or adopting. My I remember my my parents used to have a conversation would have conversations and then my mom would tell me what they talked about. And one of the things she said was, I asked your father if you would ever adopt as a single person. And he said, Angela's too selfish. She needs a partner to share that with because yeah. she likes her time and she likes her space. And I was a little hurt, but I was like, you're right. Yeah. And so I wanted to share a life and raise a child, raise a family together with someone. I don't, biology and time are not necessarily on my side. So I'm not sure I will ever have biological children. Mm -hmm. And it's making peace with that. But that doesn't mean that I am not, as people say, I am everybody's Auntie Angie. I was in the grocery store a couple of weeks ago and some child was about to have a meltdown. And I started Auntie angie him. And he was like, oh, thank you. And his mom came up to me and was like, thank you. (laughs) Because The child like the mom and the child had the mom had gone back to get a cart and the child didn't realize where she had gone. And I could see the panic and the meltdown happening. So I was like, baby, you're okay. She's right behind you. She's getting a cart. You're okay. You are safe. And the mom came to me like, thank you. Like, because the last thing you need is to be in the grocery store and having a child having a full meltdown when you can intervene. So I'm everybody's Auntie Angie.
0: Yeah. Those motherly instincts kick mm-hmm. in. Yeah. So tell me about the life you have and all the things that have happened, either that you did desire or things that, you know, gifts you've received that you didn't even know to ask for.
1: Um, so when I was, the story goes, when I was about five years old, my paternal grandfather asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up. And I said, I wanted to be a doctor and a cheerleader. I don't understand that combination. The best I can figure out is the Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders were popular at the time, and so that's what I went with. So what I tell people now when I do speaking engagements is that I've earned my doctorate, and I'm the biggest cheerleader for the nonprofit sector you'd ever see. Mm -hmm. And so I actually did become a doctor and a cheerleader, just not the way that I thought. I have um, an amazing job that I love tremendously. I love being able to pour into my students. I love being able to um, transform the nonprofit sector one student at a time. I absolutely love the faith community that, I have found and has found me and because we're growing and developing together. I love my friends and my godchildren and all of the relationships that are happened. And I couldn't have imagined that um, to borrow a line from LeBron James. I'm just a kid from Warren, Ohio. We don't become professors at the University of Notre mm. Dame. That just doesn't happen. Mm. My father, my father was a truck driver going up. My mom worked in a worked um, a blue, a white collar job in a blue collar factory. We don't do those things from my hometown. Wow. So, yeah, wow, it's incredible.
0: And, and from my perspective in the time that I've known you, mm-hmm. you live a really full life. Uh-huh. Like you have not what I, what I love and admire and what I would hope for my other single friends who are in that spot, as you mentioned of like really wanting something and it's not mm-hmm. happening, but, but you haven't put your life on hold. Like you have pursued things, you've traveled, you yeah, you just live a very full life. And with that, you put those motherly instincts to work because you're a godparent. So let's yes. talk about the fact that you're a godparent. Yes, I am the
1: actively engaged godparent of three, 20, almost 18, and 16. I have, um, I met the 20 year old when she was three days old, the 16 year old when he was one day old and the almost 18 year old when he was three months old. They are my, they have my heart and my wallet. Mm, all
0: I love the that. Time. Can I be your, can I be your godchild? <laughs> I get, need your wallet.
1: Get, get in line. There's a line forming behind you.
0: <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. That's yeah. amazing. Wow, man, I okay, so I want to back up just a little bit more Mm -hmm. in your story. I know you are from Ohio. Yes. Your parents, you described them a little bit. Would you say that you had a pretty good upbringing? Did you have a Christian upbringing? Like, how did you even end up in a faith community? And how, really my question is, how has your faith evolved from childhood to where you're at today? Give me some specific examples of how your faith has evolved or your beliefs have changed. Because I love, one of my favorite things is meeting people who believe something at 20 and believe something entirely different at 40. Or who believe something at 15, you know, know, just like whatever, but... Give us an example of how your faith has evolved from your childhood to today. So I joke that
1: unintentionally I earned a master's of divinity starting in kindergarten. So because both of my parents worked outside of the home, the only school in my community that had all day kindergarten was the Catholic school. So I am not Catholic, but I had kindergarten through 12th grade Catholic school education. And so my mom encouraged me to try and think through and process and unpack. So I, I joke I've been deconstructing my faith since I was five because I would learn one thing in my Catholic school Monday through Friday and then learn something sometimes completely opposite in my fundamentalist Pentecostal Christian upbringing, Sunday school, Sunday morning service, Sunday afternoon service, Wednesday night Bible study, Thursday night choir rehearsal, Saturday youth choir rehearsal, and youth programming.
0: You basically grew up in a church.
1: I grew up in a church. My great uncle was the founding pastor of the church that I grew up in. It was hysterical. My mom was in the choir, my grandmother was second row. I did people at at my current church are always amazed that I am so comfortable speaking in front of everybody. I was like, I've been speaking in front of a church since I was five years old. The minute I knew how to read and and, or could memorize, I I was doing an Easter speech and a Christmas speech. So what my faith looked like at that point was very was religious and not very relationship oriented. It was it was a whole bunch of thou shalt nots what you can do, what you can't do. I can remember vividly being told um, I couldn't wear pants to church. I, there were lipstick and earring checks. So if your earrings were too big, I had to take them out. If my lipstick was too bright, I had to take it off. There were also skirt length checks because it was, you didn't want a man to stumble if you were wearing a skirt that was too short. Now mm. we can unpack all, of like, whoo <laughs> Freedom is a beautiful thing. Yeah. So as I got older, one of the turning points for me was my pastor that I had in college. And he used to always say, You've got to know that you know, that you know that you know. So forget what your mother told you, forget what I told you. And all you're getting, get some understanding. So read and question and push back and force, force me to come up with answers that make sense. And get into the weeds with God like this is not making sense. Help me understand it and send people to me to help me think through this. Mm. Because I've questioned I questioned authority. It it was in my nature. I didn't mean to, but I always because my mom encouraged me, my mom and my dad encouraged me to ask good questions and to take nothing at face value. That faith is important. And but you have to have your own sense of faith and understanding. And then as I've grown and involved and attended um, different churches, that has always stuck with me.
0: Mm, That's fascinating. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like your relationship with faith today is more relationship based versus religion and rules.
1: Rules like, okay. Yeah. Um, there was someone, I remember a woman um, she'd been on, I think it was Ellen a couple of years ago. It was an older woman. And she called in and she said, I love Jesus, but I cuss a little. I was like, this is my girl. This is who I am. I do all the things that I was told that I couldn't do as a child because that would somehow hinder my relationship. Like, God knows my heart really will be okay.
0: Yeah, I find myself so often, and not that I think like I should go out of my way to try and curse, right? Like I'm I'm not saying that, but But, I, I, I so often come back to, God only cares about the condition of my heart. And we get, absolutely. we as humans like to get so caught up in the, the just outward appearances and, and the legalistic things. And that feels good sometimes because we have control over those things and we can hide other things that are deep down inside. We can hide our envy. We can hide our gluttony sometimes. we, And so it's like, oh my goodness. So we could go on and on about that. But I, I feel you. I feel you. Having a relationship with God has been so much, uh, honestly, just more fun than yes. having a set of rules.
1: And it's liberating. And it's realizing yeah. that I don't have to fit into the model of what people tell me it should like, look like, mm, that yeah. I can figure this out and it works and it makes sense.
0: Yeah. So I have two more questions for you. As you know, I keep my, I keep my episodes short but here are my two questions. I'll go one at a time because you can f- feel free to to run with it. My first question is what is something or a type of person, what belief might someone hold or or something that you strongly disagree with? And uh-huh. the reason I'm asking this question is on on my podcast a longer table I often try to help myself and all my listeners understand how do we bridge the gap between people who think differently than us and believe differently than us. And so Uh I'm curious, what's a belief that someone has or an an unawareness about somebody that is really, really hard for you? And how do you still sit at the same table as them?
1: Hmm. I think for me, one of the things that I often struggle with, is people who don't, I'm going to say this, um, people who don't understand what privilege looks like. And how do you have the conversations around privilege? So I always tell people um, when I do diversity and inclusion workshops, I always say, looking at my own life, there are areas of my life that I don't have privilege in, period, full stop. I am a woman. I am an African American woman. By default, that means that there are certain areas that I don't have privilege in. However, I am also a cisgender, heterosexual, Christian, middle class, who was raised middle class, woman who has earned a terminal degree. That gives me a whole lot of privilege in this country. And so my responsibility, my duty is to use the privilege that I have to help those who don't have that same privilege. Yes. So what Amen. that means <laughs> So what that means is fighting for the poor. Fighting for children, for folks on the margins. Fighting passionately for my LGBTQ brothers and sisters that they feel seen, safe and known fighting for my Muslim and my Jewish and my atheist and my fill-in-the-blank brothers and sisters who are often made to feel on the margins. Like, no ma'am, no sir, because I know what it's like to be on the margins. Mm. And so what can I do to invite someone from the margin to the table? Let's have a conversation.
0: Yes, nobody can hear me, but I am over here snapping as you take (laughs) us to church. Yes. I'm curious too, really quickly before I ask you my, to kind of follow up with that. Uh Okay. So even if we go over a little bit, I'm okay with that because you're wise and people want to hear you and I want to hear you. So my follow up question to that is, did you always believe though, the way you do about LGBTQ now? Like I'm not actually asking your stance on anything. I hear you saying, I want to make sure they feel loved, seen and safe. I hear you saying that. Mm -hmm. My guess is that and I could be wrong. This is an assumption that I'm bringing to the table that when you describe the upbringing you had in a black community in a Mm -hmm. church, I'm going to guess that LGBTQ that that you did not grow up hearing that we need to make them feel safe, seen and loved. Am I wrong?
1: Yes and no. So this is one of those what I heard in church versus what I heard at home. So I can remember being. 12 years old and meeting one of my my, one of my father's brothers for the first time in my life. And I didn't understand why it took me till I was like 10, 12 years old to meet him. And as I got older, my mother said to me, it is because your paternal grandfather found out that he was gay and banned him from the house. And so my paternal grandfather passed away when I was five years old and my uncle waited another five years before he came home. So he literally waited like my grandfather had been dead and he, and he still waited and came back. And I just we didn't talk about it a lot but I remember to this day the pain in my father's eyes when he realized that his only child was meeting his one of his brothers when she was 10, 12 years old and that stuck with me. And so it always made me kind of think about what does it look like when someone's on the margin and how do you love them well? And how do you love beside this and around this and make it work? Yeah. And and so that's what, and my parents were very explicit but also a lo- implicit about you love everyone. You treat everyone with respect. So necessarily saying LGBTQ never came up, but you just treat everyone with respect
0: yep, yep. and love and grace. So that leads to this. I'm still on question one, by the way, I haven't gotten to the second one. Uh, <laughs> here we are like 20 minutes in. How, how do you sit at a table though? With someone who doesn't care about the marginalized or who is so unaware of their privilege, or, you know, fill in the blank. How do you keep inviting people to the table? Because I'm telling you, that's what I've been having a hard time with is like, here I am wanting to include everyone, wanting to create a longer table, but my goodness, you know what I have a really hard time doing? Inviting people who are. Let's. I'll give a very specific example. People who are hyper conservative to my table. I have a really hard time, but I want to because I think it's hypocritical of me to be inclusive in all these other areas, but to, to write off people because even though some of their beliefs infuriate me. So I'm curious how you do this well. Um, I, I mess up and I go back again
1: because I'm going to get it wrong more than I'm going to get it right. But um, my best friend always says it's about progress, not perfection. So it's trying to keep doing it well. So it's sitting at the table with them, inviting them to the table, listening to what they have to say, pausing, taking a breath, do not, and I often have to say to myself, literally, do not engage, do not respond. You just need to hear them because no one has ever listened to them. Sometimes I think that no one has ever listened to them. So just let them say it, breathe, and then try to extend as much grace as humanly possible to say, perhaps have you thought about, would you consider? And then doing the, using the example of privilege, my privilege versus their privilege. Yeah. Because people often get really uncomfortable about talking about issues around race Unrelated to privilege because they think it's accusatory, like my life is not that great. I know. We all have privilege. I have privilege. Yeah. And recognizing that and making peace with it. Do I get it right all the time? Absolutely not. Do I sit in my car after we've had an interaction and fuss and cry and scream and yell at my best friend? Like, why are people stupid? you darn right. <laughs> why are they so stupid? I know. And yeah, but and you and you commiserate and you think, okay. All right, we're going to try this again tomorrow because you, mm. you just got to keep because you just got to try. Yeah. Am I going to get wait? Am I going to get everybody? Nope.
0: Yeah. Are
1: they going to hear me? Maybe not. Did I can I look? But at the end of the day, can I look at myself in the mirror and say you did the right thing? You did what you were called to do. Yeah. OK. Hmm.
0: Yeah, living with integrity and really recognizing that there isn't a single person we wouldn't love if we knew their story. And that the way people believe, the way they interpret scripture, all of that, every single bit of it is shaped not only by their upbringing and their life experiences and the color of their skin, but like it it is, we can't argue with people in the ways that they believe on both ends of the spectrum. And so getting to know them and their story has been like one of the only things that's helped Uh me. I I start to have more compassion and empathy. And I love that you suggest coming back with the response of like, hmm, pausing. Would you consider, have you ever thought about, like, I I really like that. That's very practical. Mm -hmm. Okay. My last question for you as we wrap up our time here, and you can take this however, whichever direction you want to take it. What advice would you give to yourself at 25? Because the average listener of my podcast is in their late 20s, early 30s, and they're all different, right? Like there's men listening to this, there's women, there's black, there's white, there's so many different people. But I think there's something holy and sacred in your life experience. And so, what would you tell Angela at 25?
1: Don't be so serious. (laughs) Laugh more. (laughs) Cry more travel more, and just go for more. Mm. It's not going to turn out the way you think it's going to turn out, but keep planning, keep dreaming, keep believing, but be comfortable in the ambiguity. That if this doesn't happen, I heard I saw somewhere online that um, one of these things when life doesn't go the way you think it should go, just pause and yell plot twist and start (laughs) over like plot twist. Here we go, (laughs) because you can't you can't plan for it. We plan. We plan. God laughs like, okay, we'll see how this works. Mm -hmm. So you just just have fun and enjoy. It's a great ride. You only get one. You only get one life.
0: I love that. And I I need your advice. I have trouble with play and laughter. I'm a pretty, like, I tend to be a serious person and I really care about things that matter. And so sometimes I can get so like, we don't have time to have fun. We have to fight racism. Like I get really, yeah. Like really serious. And my husband's like, can we just go watch a movie? Like, yeah. And so it's good to have those people in my life to balance it out. Um, Now now I will,
1: I will say this is a physician heal thyself moment because I'm still reminding myself, Angela, you are not going to solve all of the world's problems today. Giggle, call your best friend, laugh, cry, do whatever you need to do. Okay. Let's do this again. Sometimes why be so serious? Cause it's not all, you can't fix it all today. Do you, yeah.
0: Do you think that's why, I mean, if I, if we're honest, there's probably some people in your position at 48, never been married, but have that desire, don't have kids, but long for that, that become really bitter mm-hmm. and they oh, well. walk around living their life, angry at God, mm-hmm. envious of other people, mad at people, projecting things on people. I don't see you doing that. I've, n- I've never experienced that from you. You are so alive in Jesus and you are mm-hmm. so full of joy. And like I said, you live a really full life. Mm -hmm. What's been the secret sauce? Like what's behind that? Because let's face it, whether it looks like marriage or kids or something totally different, we all have to grieve dreams and expectations Mm -hmm. that haven't happened or aren't going to happen. And we need to do that well, or we're going to be bitter and walk around Mm -hmm. wasting our life. So what, what has helped you to not be bitter and unhealthy and just, living your life in that way? I think
1: even though I didn't have language around it before I went to my spiritual director, it was the notion of making space to grieve it, but also to celebrate what the way life is. So living in the tension of the two. And I think a lot of times when you get bogged into the bitter and the angry, it's because you don't make space for both of them. That we, we tend to say, you have to feel this, this has to be happy or it has to be sad. It can be both and that's okay. And people often try and make themselves fit into this box of what you think your life should look like. It ain't happening Captain. <laughs> I hate to be the one to break it. (laughs) That's not how, that's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. And so it's just being okay with living in the tension. And when I'm having a no good, very bad, awful day, let myself have it and don't try and convince myself out of it or Jesus, my way out of it or whatever my way out of it, but just sit in the grief, Mm. sit in the anger, sit in the frustration But then Paul, but don't live that. Don't move in. You can visit, but don't move in.
0: Mm, That's Mm. so good. Wow. Well, I think we'll probably have to have you on for part two with Dr. Angela. Thank you so much for hanging out with us and shedding wisdom on just so many different things. You're such a joy. You're like yeah your joy and zest for life is contagious so y'all need to meet Angela if you're in South Bend I'm sure she'd love to meet you you can get in line behind me to sign up for being her godchild because you know the godchild gets the wallet so Yeah, yeah all right well thank you so much